0: Scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 9 and 20 through 25. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page 872 in your worship Bible. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For, quote, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, unquote. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. May God bless the reading of his word.
1: You know, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes life can be very difficult for us. We can find ourselves faced with the harsh realities of a life not quite fixed yet. Whether through something that happens to us or something that we had no control over or even through choices that we've made and others have made, we can find ourselves in a very difficult spot. That is the context into which Peter writes this letter. It's a letter given to uh, uh, people living in what is now modern-day Turkey, believers, followers of Jesus who are finding themselves going through a lot of suffering and difficult times. What was it that Peter offered to them in the midst of that suffering? What is it that uh, that he gave to them to help them deal with their suffering? What he gave to them was this, the assurance of a living hope. His book is a book of hope. You know, if the apostle Paul is often known as the apostle of faith, and the apostle John is often known in his letters as the apostle of love, Peter is often referred to as the apostle of hope. He writes this little book to a group of believers in Turkey in order to encourage them as, as they suffer. He knows that if he can remind them of their hope and can encourage them to interpret their sufferings in light of that hope, he will give to them the courage they need to face their future and, they're lived, and to live their lives today full, with meaning and purpose and joy and hope, no matter what kind of difficult circumstances that they, uh, that they are going through. So we've been taking our two-year trek, through the whole bible and we're now all the way to the very near to the end of the bible. We just have a few more weeks of this. We're going to go through 1 Peter and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and then Jude and then Revelation will be done. These are some of the last books in the New Testament and they're written much and most of them are written relatively late in the New Testament period. And this was a time when the church, generally speaking, was encountering an increased amount of unofficial and official government-led persecution. So these last little books of the Bible are, are written to people who are going through difficult times and wanting, and wanting to help them have hope in the midst of that. So we see that evident in all of these books, particularly First and Second Peter, also Jude, and then Revelation. So what does he want to teach to them and then also to us uh, about hope? There are three things I'd like you to notice in this text. First of all, the significance of hope. Secondly, the benefits of hope. And thirdly, the birth of hope. The significance of hope, the benefits of hope um, and and the and the birth of hope let 's talk first of all then about the uh, the significance of hope. I want you to see a few things about hope and how important it is. I, I want you to see its, its importance its, and its basis its importance and its basis. We are absolutely shaped we need to know by our understanding of the future, what we believe about the future completely shapes how we live. I read an author recently who said this, hope is the way we overcome the lurking suspicion that all our getting and spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. (laughs) Hope is what we need to deal with that nagging suspicion. Without hope, some days when we take an honest look at our lives, we can say, what's it really all about? What's it really going? If we all just end up in the in the grave? What does it really matter? And and how many of us can actually remember the names of all of our great-grandparents? Most of us can't. So, congratulations. Your great-grandchildren won't know your name either. They won't, you know? We say we live in the memories of our children, right? But our children don't really remember. Yes, the first ones do. But where is the true hope in life? Hope depends on finding something to pursue merely than just simply some idea. So we absolutely need hope, some objective to our lives. We can't help it. You know, and hope makes such a huge difference in our lives. Let's say that you, let, let me give you an example of how that might work. Let's imagine that two people are given the same job uh, in, the, in the same factory at the same time to do the most menial um, mindless labor, you know, putting a widget in a wadget, in a widget, in a wadget, in a widget, in a wadget, in a widget, eight hours away, right? Two people. One person is told, at the end of this year's time, you will have made $12,000 doing this job, putting the widget in the wadget, the widget in the wadget. The other person is told, at the end of the year, you will make, you'll be given $12 million at the end of this time, He's going, putting a widget, and watch it, putting a widget. Why? What's the difference? Hope. That's the only difference. It's the net result of all that. So our lives are so influenced by what we see as the ultimate end. That's why Peter, in writing these folks, and all of us have faced suffering and have gone through suffering, need to see an ultimate end that makes the trials of this life worth something, meaningful. That's why hope is absolutely vital. We cannot live without hope. In fact, what kills people mostly in concentration camps, what it killed them was what? The lack of hope. And those who survived it, they weren't just killed for, were people who had something to live for, something to look forward to, a family they might get to see again, a way of getting. Hope is vital. Hope is absolutely important. I want you to see though also its basis. We need hope, but when you ask yourself, is there any sure basis for hope? After all, everybody dies, and as I said, we're not really remembered even by our great-grandchildren, generally speaking. Is there any really sure foundation in this scientific society to believe there were anything more than ashes and dust from beginning to end in the middle with a lot of hormones in between? Is there anything really matters in our lives? Really, outside the Christian faith, I think we really don't have a lot of sure foundation of hope. You know, the secularists will uh, uh, say there's no real fundamental hope built into our lives. We're just sort of ending in a whimper or a bang or somewhere or a freeze out somehow. We know the universe is going to end. That's scientifically proven. That way We know that's good. There's got a time period. Now. Is there a hope that goes beyond that? Is there a hope that goes beyond the grave, beyond the death of all things? Or some religions take simply a, a circle vibe life. Good news, you're going to be in a never-ending circle. You'll just keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. And not going anywhere, but it's just an endless circle. Is that really hopeful? You know, most of us oh, hang on to hope, but uh, most of the time, and I've, you know, I've done many, many services, and I mean this with uh, utmost respect for, I mean funeral service, utmost respect, where all we come to a funeral service and we want to bring together hope we say he 's with the angels she 's with she 's in a better place, but what honestly is the grounded basis of that hope? what is there is there a grounded basis, or is it merely as we often think of hope wishful thinking it's just wishful thinking like I hope it 's true you know well that 's not very uh, pleasant when we 're going through a difficult time when life makes no sense no Christianity has a fundamental basis of hope. And he tells us in this passage of Scripture, what is the basis of Christian hope? Well, let's look at the text as, as, uh, uh, as I barely read it for you. Peter, an apostle, I'm going to start the first verse just because I hated to leave it out, but Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, that's in the area of Turkey, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope. What? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ the Lord. The reason you can have hope beyond the grave, the reason that we're not simply dust, the reason why the end of all things is not just the death of all things is because the end of Jesus' life wasn't the end of Jesus. The death of Jesus' life wasn't the end of Jesus' life. He was raised from the dead. And his resurrection gives to us the foundational assurance of a hope beyond the grave. The foundation of of a hope is because of the bodily resurrection of Jesus caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. There's a a foundational basis for Christian hope. It's not just merely thinking. It's not just whistling in the dark. It's based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ. And what is the essence, thirdly, under this first point, the essence of this Christian hope? It is a hope, verses 4 and 5, to an inheritance that is imperishable. All of this life is perishable, right? Undefiled. And all of this life has some defilement to it. And unfading. You know, you can paint those faces as long as you want. It starts to fade after a while, right? You know? Undefiled imperishable, unfitting through an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He's t- talking to people who are suffering. Some of them are even losing their lives. Uh, some of them are dying under the weight of persecution. And he's saying that there's something even beyond your death. So be hopeful. And that hope is bound up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is for an imperishable, un undefiled unfading inheritance and if we looked at other scriptures we could see that what Peter is alluding to and in this in this passage in this book as well speaking about the fact that someday God is going to give to all of us who have faith in him a resurrected body just like the one Jesus had remember that body he said look at my hands look at my feet but it was incorruptible it was differently constituted. It was somehow connected to his previous body. He looked like him, but he was somehow changed and made from imperishable, excuse me, from perishable to imperishable. He was made, he was made into a new kind of person, and that is the promise of what will come to all of us. And those resurrected bodies will not sit floating on clouds somewhere. They will sit in God's new heaven and new earth, remade out of, the, uh, out of this, uh, uh, refined by the firelight, the gold, and, and the, the gold of this creation somehow emerges into the new creation. We don't know how it will happen. The only reason we can believe it will happen is because Jesus was raised from the dead. And so he gave a new life to all, and new life came in when Jesus was raised from the dead. So that is our hope. It is an inheritance, imperishable, undefied, unfading, kept in heaven for us. That means it's not kept in the refrigerator for you. If I said to you, um, uh, come on over, I've got some uh, ice cream, I'm keeping in the refrigerator for you. I'm keeping it for you. I'm not going to say to you, get into my refrigerator and eat it, (laughs) right? I'm going to say, here's the... Refrigerate, here's the ice cream I've been saving for you. It's kept for you until the day when God makes new heavens and new earth. When heaven, God's reign, and earth, this world, are brought back together into an imperishable future where the Son of God will live on this earth with all of us. It's unbelievable. That's the essence of the Christian Hope. That's it. So we've seen the significance of the Christian hope, its importance, its basis, its essence. But what then are the practical benefits of this hope? And the Apostle Peter is trying to get us to see all of those things through, uh, throughout this story. What are the benefits that come to us when we've been born again to a living hope based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the knowledge that no matter what things happen to us in this world, um, no matter what happens to us, um, God will make all things right. He will make all things new. We will have a new body, uh, a new life, and God's new creation hope. I remember many years ago, before the days of uh, know, DVR and all that sort of thing, I can't remember how this happened, but it was when the Indianapolis 500 was you, always was shown live many, many years ago, right? You never, you never, I remember... Um, watching it later or something like that and hearing, you know, they, they tape delayed it a little bit. And I heard the results of the, I'm not really a racing fan, so please forgive me that. I know we're in cowboy town and all of us, you know, whatever. But so forgive me for the uh, you know, inappropriateness of, of claiming to know something about this. I was only 15, so you'll forgive me. But I remember knowing the results of the fi- Indianapolis 500 and watching the race, knowing who had already won. It was an incredibly different experience. First time I've ever had that kind of... Some of you had that kind of experience. You know, well, you know, you know the end of the score, and you don't really care if they're down or not. You don't understand because you know who's going to win, right? You know how it's going to turn out. And it was a great, very different experience for me to watch this race knowing how it was going to come out. And I've often thought since that's, in many ways, the Christian hope. Yes, we cry, we, we suffer, we grieve, we, we have hard times, but we know how the story ends. We know how... Hi, Cecile. I didn't know you were here till so just now. Um, uh, we, we know how this is all going to work, and that just changes your whole perspective as you live in the present. Your thought about the future changes the perspective on how you live in the present. It changes it in fundamental ways. It's the whole widget-wadget story. You're doing the same things, but it has much more meaning when you know how it's turning out, okay? And so, what are some of the benefits of hope? Number, there are three that he talks about, and there are more in this book, and I'm just trying to give you a brief little survey of the whole book together. Number one, it gives to you, and this is the most important one in this text, a positive perspective on suffering. I don't need to bore you or depress you by talking to you about the fact that we go through suffering. Some of you Right in here, if we were to sit, we could talk, and I would know, and you would know that you are faced and have faced some very difficult suffering times. We don't minimize that at all, but there is a way to make it through suffering, not by denying its pain, but by embracing its pain and believing in God's resurrection power in the midst of that pain and out of that pain. That's what he's saying to these folks Notice how the text goes on in the um, you know sixth verse or so as he goes on and talks about this. He says, In this you rejoice, in this you re- Oh, let me look back up because in, in what are you rejoicing? You're rejoicing in your ultimate hope. Okay? Well let me back up. All right, back up. Whoop, back. Up. He's Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, that's we, you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, Right? this awareness of the future, of how the story ends. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. We grieve when we suffer, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He's saying to people who are going through suffering, I know it's hard, I know it's hard, And there are hard times which will help you to grow, but there's still hard times. Evil has been vanquished, but though it is a defeated enemy, it still takes pot shots on all the people, and we're all hurt by that until the final day. So keep your eyes on the final day, and don't give up. Don't lose hope. Yes, Christian view of suffering doesn't minimize it. It doesn't say it doesn't exist. It doesn't pretend like we can somehow find a state where it doesn't matter to us because we've come to this place of enlightenment where we don't feel it. No, Christian, so Christian approach to suffering embraces it in all of its fullness, feels all the pain of it, but knows that that is not the end of the story. And so I can have a positive perspective, even through my tears, even sometimes in my anger, because someday I know that the God who loved me and gave himself for me will make right every wrong, will dry every tear, will make sure that all things ultimately add up under Jesus Christ in a way I cannot now see. And all the questions that now are in my life for which I do not have answers, I know that there is ultimately a day when we will understand it better by and by. And therefore, while I grieve, I do not grieve as those without hope. First Thessalonians, right? Yes, we need in these days a positive perspective about suffering. And in many ways, as I said at the outset, Peter writes this book to the suffering people. And he tells them about the hope in Jesus Christ. Not just to get them to not care about their suffering, but so that they can suffer well and with purpose and that they can see it as an opportunity for them, though their faith is tested by fire, for it to be purified. And so that their love for Jesus, though you don't see him, can grow and grow, and we can find from him the outcome of our faith. Yes. One of the benefits of hope is it gives to us a positive perspective on suffering. And one of the tragedies of a world without hope is we don't have a good way to deal with suffering. We don't have, in American culture, a good theology of suffering. We've had it too easy for too long. And we think somehow when we suffer, (laughs) why, not us, those guys maybe, but not us. You know? No. Suffering's been a part of this world, and Jesus was the ultimate sufferer on our behalf. And his suffering and his vanquishing of suffering, not by refusing it, but by embracing it and going through it, is the means by which I too can have hope as I go through my trial by fire. Well, I have more points, although this is a good one. I'll move to the next one, the benefit of hope. The other is a compelling purpose for living. Hope gives to me a compelling purpose for living. That's why he says in the 13th verse of this, I didn't have her read all of it, but I printed, I think, most of it. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, hope is not just wishful thinking about the future. Hope affects I, the way I live and what I do today. It has a current effect on how I live. Now, uh, forgive me for talking about bicycling again, but that's kind of what I'm doing right now for this mission trip that I'm going to be, uh, be going on, on a part of. But, you know, about a year and a half ago, I I pulled up my bicycle out of cobwebs, and I thought, you know, because of well, what really happened? Our church had grown to the point where I no longer had to clean pools to support myself, and so I was I was thinking I'm I'm going to get really flabby if I don't do something. So I pulled up that bicycle, and I had a goal, which was just to get better fit. Okay, and so for about a year, I consistently rode, as painful as it was to try to get to a place where I didn't just suffer every second on that bicycle because, as you know, living here in Cave Creek, there's no flat roads. So you either decide to end up or end down. <laughs> you know, I usually try to end up. So I'm going up this hill, and I first I went a little while, a little further, a little further, okay. And the goal of getting into better fitness began to pay off a little bit in just feeling a little bit more fit. Well, a year goes by, and then I happen to happenstance, I don't believe in happenstance, but providentially run into someone asking for directions. I think I told this story a while ago, but you won't remember it. So, I was looking for directions because I was not a little lost, but I was taking a little longer route. I had thought I need to ride a little bit more, you know, uh, on this ride. I had been riding twice a week, and I wanted to make it a little bit longer, and uh, so I stopped somewhere near Tremonto area thinking, I think that's the road I'm supposed to turn on to get back down to Carefree Highway. I was, you know, traveling Cloud Road or one of those roads over there. So I stopped a lady walking a dog. Her name was Arlene and just asked her, is this the way to Carefree Highway? She was there. Uh, she said, well, yes, it is. We chat a little bit and as often happens, we chatted about a little bit more. <laughs> and uh, I discovered that she was, uh, her husband was avid in this uh, group called Bikes for Poverty that does a ride to raise money to build homes down to Mexico. I had heard about one mission, and so, uh, so I thought, well, this is, uh, again, doesn't feel too happenstantial. I'm wanting to ride more. I'm finding it about this place to Mexico. And so I think, well, maybe, I'll, well, what I began to do then is I began to ride my bicycle with a bigger purpose in mind. I began to think about possibly training to the point where I could ride 100 miles two days in a row, which seemed like a crazy idea at the time. But before long, I was adding miles, and uh, and I began to, and so I signed up for this, this event, and they want to be doing it. And so the fact that I had a goal in mind has made it a lot more easy for me to get on that bike, to do the things that need, because I don't want to get to February 10th and 11th and not be able to make that trip. You know, I don't want to be doing that. So the point is that when you have a, a, pers- a specific goal in mind, which is a good one, it changes the way you live your life. My tra- my present act of riding a bicycle changed substantially when my future goal got bigger. And that's the problem with our world, our world's culture. Our future goals are basically to retire and to be able to live off our income and, or to have a good time or to make sure that we build a business. All these things which are transitory and don't last forever, they're not bad things. But if it's the ultimate thing, it becomes kind of vanity of vanities, all is vanities. You could write the book of Ecclesiastes yourself. You would know. But So what happens is this ultimate big picture of renewed bodies on a new creation with the Lord who loved us and saved us and living in that imperishable, undefiled, uncorruptible reality changes the way I train day to day in my life. I'm training for the future. That's why he says, therefore, prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, this future hope is something which causes me to prepare my mind for action. See? That makes sense? Yeah. And so he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so you will also be holy in all your conduct. You, you have a bigger goal, to be set apart for God's purposes, not just for your own purpose. That's the identification of holy. Holiness uh, is, means simply set apart for, for God's purposes. It's a little bit like when I began to train for this ride, I had to realize that if I wanted to accomplish a bigger goal, I had to be more conscious of how I spent my time. You know, I had to prepare my mind for action. And I needed to be, will, be willing to maybe eat a little less or a little bit more appropriately because why carry extra weight on this ride? You know, why do that? Okay? So, the point is, and I know I'm out of time, but, well, I should never say that. Yeah, everybody looks at their watch right then. I'm supposed to be looking at my watch, not you. So, but I, uh, is future hope is to me purpose for today. So important. That's why he says later, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Live as, verse chapter 2 and verse 16, live as people who are free. You see, be a different person because of that hope. Well, I only have a moment to give you my uh, the last part under this second point, and that is we are able then to give a priestly witness to the world. A priestly witness to the world. We are, it says in 2.5, a holy priesthood. We are... In verse 9 of chapter 2, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We call it this winter, we're called to become living witnesses of God's new creation in Christ Jesus, a different kind of people, a people, a kind of people that love and accept everyone, that brings forgiveness and grace to everyone, welcomes everyone, knows everybody needs, stands uh, before a cross, desperately in need of salvation, we need that. We're all, it's, it's worse than we thought it was, and it's better than we ever could have imagined. It's worse in that we need God way more than we ever thought we needed Him, and it's better because God loves us way more than we ever thought He could. He's given His life for us. Yeah. Put aside our pride. We become a different kind of people. That's why it says in verse 11 of chapter 2. Keep, I urge you, keep your contact among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak of you, remember, they're suffering, when they speak of you as evildoers, they may see your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. Yeah. Well, we've seen then the the importance of hope, the significance of hope, the benefits of hope, and let's just close out quickly by looking at the birth of hope. How is it that hope really happens? How is it that hope really happens? Well, what does he say here in this third verse of chapter 1? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is a born-again experience which creates in us a living hope. And in verse 23 of that same passage, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living word of God. And he says, this is the word of the good news that was preached to you. You see, we need to be given a brand new life by trusting in Jesus. In the same way that Jesus died and was raised to new life, so too we need to die to all of our smaller ambitions, our smaller plans, our, the things we hold so tightly. Lay them down before him and embrace the finished work of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us so that we could have a hope which would never fade. Hope is born in my life when I am born anew by the power of His Spirit. Verse 18, it says, of chapter 1, you were ransomed from the futile ways of your forefathers, not with with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Yes, hope is vital to our lives. Hope brings great benefits to our lives, But hope is born anew in our lives when we place our lives in the hands of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. If you've never responded in faith to Jesus Christ, today would be a great day to do that, to simply offer yourself to him as he offered himself for you. Because we are ransomed, it says, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Every time we gather here at the Church of the Chip, we close our time by reminding ourselves of the Lamb who gave His life for us and shed His blood for us because we recognize that that is where hope really begins. So I want to encourage you as we observe the Lord's table in closing our time together to come before the One who gave His life for you to give to you new hope. And if you've never responded in faith to Jesus Christ, this would be a great moment for you to simply respond to his love for you by committing your life to him. It's as if Jesus has finished everything that needs to be done and offers to you the gift of hope, but he will not force it down your throat. You simply need to receive it by faith, trusting in his sacrifice for you. Even as we observe the Lord's table, Perhaps some of you will want to say, Lord Jesus, thank you that when you died, you died for me. I trust in you as my Savior. Thank you that when you gave your blood, you gave your blood for me. I trust you as my Savior. Let's have prayer as we close. Father, we're really thankful, incredibly thankful, that there is a hope which is imperishable, undefiled, incorruptible, and is offered to us as we respond in faith to you. And there is an experience of new birth when we respond in faith to Jesus Christ. Forgive us when we give ourselves to hopes and dreams which only amount to nothing. But thank you for offering to us the ultimate hope of forgiveness for all of our past, of a purpose for our future, or today, and a promise for our future, of joy inexpressible and full of glory, when the one whom we now love but do not see will be the one before whom we can bow and worship and adoration, in true love, and live with Him forever. Thank you for that hope. May it give to us peace through our difficult times of suffering. May it give to us purpose in the middle of uh, day-to-day decisions of life. And may it give for us the opportunity to become a witness to this world of a hope bigger than our world has to offer. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.